Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. We've partnered with Dataversity to provide listeners with 20% off your first training center purchase with promo code AlgmanDL. Go to dataleadershiptraining.com to learn more. Today on episode 80, we welcome Julie Traxler and Corey Harris. Julie and Corey are the co-founders of SB Pace, a boutique coaching and consulting firm that is dedicated to the success of small businesses around the globe. They also co-host BizQuick podcast and have a social media management company called Certivium. Julie and Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be yep, here. Thank you. So, so happy to have you. So why don't you just take a few minutes and kind of give us the story of your careers and kind of how you came together and the, and the work that you're doing today. And we'll kind of just take it from there. All right. I'll go first. <laughs> um, I'm, the majority of my career is in mergers and acquisitions. So I have a long history in the background in, in doing that and um, have been a consultant for on and off for probably the past, past 15 years. What I didn't realize with my mergers and acquisitions career was I, I was always on the post deal close acquisition integration side, leading mm -hmm. big integrations. And I would go, that's, a, I would go land on a company site that had been acquired and spend anywhere from six to 18 months getting that business integrated into the new corporate structure. And what I didn't realize was in that particular, you know, role, I was learning everything there was to learn about small businesses inside and out, because these were companies that were purchasing small businesses. So it set me up really nicely for when Corey and I decided to, to start SB Pays. So that was, that's really where I spent most of my career. I've, I've built teams and have a strong um, background in leadership and, and um, helping to develop leaders, but I'm really passionate about the mergers and acquisition space because of the amount of change that it inflicts on the people and so helping the people to get through that. And my background is, uh, was primarily just restaurants. So I spent uh, all of college outside, you know, out of college, uh, working in managing restaurants, that type of stuff. Um, I eventually became a partner in a small chain of uh, cafes here in Richmond and did that for about four years. And kind of got burned out on the whole restaurant world and uh, decided to go look for a, a cushy nine to five gig. Um, and I found, I found one, which was, it was interesting at first, but I was, you know, working for a performance food group. That's where I met Julie. Um, we were working at the same company there. Uh, it's a food distributor. And so we were, um, initially I was just kind of like my own department traveling around the country, providing essentially it support for, um, warehouses around the country, which is funny because I'm not qualified to do that at all, but uh, I was doing it. And then I, get, I got on uh, Julie's team doing the, the mergers and acquisitions, and it turns out that that was actually a process team. Um, and so we were traveling around the country, uh, improving, implementing uh, process, that type of stuff. Uh, after that, got into just some independent consulting for a little bit, and then when the pandemic hit, Julie and I were, uh, we both live in Richmond and we were trying to figure out what to do, how we could help people. So we started just calling around our friends and family who have, or who are own small businesses and, and asked them, you know, is there anything we can do to help? And then that just kind of turned into us creating a business designed to help small businesses. 
Um, so we've done that for the past two years, and then we launched a podcast uh, and a radio show, and I'm in the process of uh, starting another restaurant because I got the itch a couple years ago and wanted to get back in the industry. So um, as you can see in the background there, those are my nitrogen tanks for my draft system. Um, I'm currently in my office, which is also a storage closet. <laughs> That's oh, there's so many things. Uh, the, I love the mergers and acquisitions piece, and first and foremost, because as I have talked in other uh, episodes that we have, um, you know, that is often one of those triggering types of transformations, triggering events that lead you down a path of needing to do a whole lot more with data than what you're currently able to do. So, definitely a space that that many of us are, are familiar with, and and I think is always fascinating because you're often, I mean, square pegs and round holes in these organizations. And I have a hypothesis. I'm curious on your take before we start talking more about SB Pace and, and everything else that you're doing. Um, I'm curious. I have this hypothesis that in the M&A space, and this is a lot of pre-transaction, especially because post-transaction, I think you kind of just deal with what you deal with. You're working on implementations, integrations and all of that, and you just got to make it work. But when you're pre pre-transaction, doing the assessment, I feel like there's just a totally missing area of understanding of data assets. Like in my experience in the diligence that's often done, they'll look at technology systems, they'll look at like applications, but I've never seen the depth of understanding around data, both the assets and the potential risks inherent with the data assets. I think that that should be a bigger thing than it is. Have you had any experience in this? Am I crazy or is this something that may be uh, a, a valid hypothesis? Oh, you're not crazy. <laughs> you're not crazy. <laughs> not um, it is, it, I, I've, I have been on numerous transactions where we're on the back end of it, right? The deal has closed. And we spend months and months and months unraveling data, trying to understand it. And they don't really look at it. You look at everybody's concerned about tech and everybody's concerned about the financials, right? And, and you're looking at like the hard assets as part of the transaction. But a lot of people miss the people, the culture part of it and data in general. And I think that's where the bulk of time gets spent on any transaction I've ever been involved in on the back end is getting the data figured out and cleaned up before you can actually fully complete that integration. And it's so challenging. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, I was gonna say one of the big, um, uh, merger, uh, not mergers, uh, we were converting uh, warehouses from one ERP to another ERP. And <clears throat> for this uh, one, it's one of the companies underneath the umbrella of the bigger company. Uh, they had eight warehouses and they had a, a completely different ERP, but they sold the same product, the same food, the same everything. And there was a one-to-one -one mapping for item codes, but how they treated items and how they split items was a little bit different. And then the the actual data structure, when it came to the the conversions that we were doing, I if, quickly found out I was the only person, literally the only person in the company who knew how the data was structured correctly. And so when they were going to run the conversion program, I was like, no, that's incorrect. And they're like, no, this is how it's done. And I'm like, well, you're going to break the company. Like, we can't do this. And then they said, well, we're going to do it anyway. And then I spent two weeks scrubbing an Excel file, um, fixing and updating their new ERP. Yeah, that tracks. That's, yep. that's a story I've, I've 
have had before. Yeah, yes. that's <laughs> unfortunate, but I, I definitely saw where that one was heading. Yes. Um, okay, so I, I, we could talk about this for the entire hour, but I'm, I'm not going to let us do that. So I would, <laughs> I want to take, I want to swing this pendulum um, and go from like M and A, very large, big transaction, big heavy enterprise stuff. I want to swing that pendulum all the way over to the small business side and understand first, you know, obviously SB Pace, you're, you're working with small businesses by design. Mm -hmm. At the 30,000 foot level, I'm curious when you when you look at small businesses and you think about the data and some of the challenges that they have and what they're doing in businesses, um, you know, what fundamentally is the same and what's fundamentally different about working with small businesses as, a, as opposed to the, the large organizations that, that you've worked with in the M&A side? Well, I, I think the one thing that's most consistent is everybody thinks a different data point is the most important data point. <laughs> like we cannot get a, like not a single company. They're like, oh, well, revenue is most important. No cost is most important. No, it's like and how they view and uh, like digest the data is is just inconsistent. And it, it's, I guess, just kind of like a, a personality thing. Because, you know, I look at it as like, okay, this is, seems logical to me, but it seems it, it doesn't make sense to other people. So um, having that background in in IT and, and like in doing the, the mergers and acquisitions has kind of helped me because it like for me, it's trying to explain to people like this is why this is, you know, stuff is important. But for them, they only want to look at certain numbers because somebody, some guru on the Internet told them or uh, some mentor or when they were working a previous job for a, a large company, that was the thing that they harped on. Um, so I think trying to convince people what is important um, and that it's not um industry specific like it's really industry agnostic like there are just yeah. certain things that are important regardless of what industry you're in i think the thing that always surprises me is the number of small business owners that don't do any like long-term planning even annual right so if you if you don't have a set of goals for the year then what are you measuring against and how do you actually know how you're doing and I, it's really rare to encounter a business that actually does that. And a lot of times people are stunned that Corey and I always did weekly staff meetings. And it was just the two of us and we would have like a four hour staff meeting, but we were literally covering every single thing in the business. And like these, this, we would, we had a dashboard that we looked at every possible, we looked at the data from every way we're, we're you know, we're looking at revenue we're month over month, year over year. We're looking at book sales, podcast downloads, followers on social media, you name the data point, we were tracking it because we really wanted to see. And then over time we would scale it back. But mo I, I have yet to encounter another business owner that we have worked with who actually has any type of dashboard or anything they're measuring against. And I'm like, well, how do you, how do you know how you're, how you're doing? Like, what do you, how do you know? Hmm. Do you think that's a lack of awareness of the importance of the, the data points or the quantification or do you, like, or the planning or strategy? Like, or do you think it's just that they're so focused on that day-to-day operational survival that they don't take the time, force the time to think longer term or think in a, in a more quantitative way? I think it's a combination of two things. One, you have people who are involved in the day to day and because they are they are living and breathing their business, they think and usually have a pretty good finger on the pulse of the business that they don't really need to look at reports because they can kind of guesstimate where they are. Um, and, and for, you know, 
generally speaking, that's okay. And then it, like if you're if you're the one cutting the checks and and uh, looking at the labor numbers every day and all of that, yeah, that that's that's fine. Um, but then there's also just kind of like the head in the sand approach. That there's the I I don't want to look at the numbers because I don't I'm scared of what they're going to tell me. Um, so I'm just not going to look at them. Yeah, I I would tend to agree that it's a little bit of both of those. I also think they just they don't know how they don't even realize that this is an important thing that they should be looking at. And, you know, for I would guide people to say it doesn't really matter what you're looking at as long as you're looking at something and you're looking at the same thing. Right. So podcast data is a perfect example of this. I'm sure you're aware it's really hard to track podcast data. Like it's a mess and I'm waiting for somebody to solve that problem. Right. But it's a mess. It depends on, you know, what tools you use and, you know, it's, it's just, it's a crapshoot what you're getting. So we finally decided like, look, as long as we're tracking using the same, uh, Oh God, all of a sudden I just lost my words. As long source system of data, as long as we have the same source of data, week over week, then we know if we're improving or, or not, right? We know how the numbers are going, but you just, you have to start someplace. And most people don't, don't realize that they just need to start doing it. It's really fascinating in that podcast space when you talk about that, because obviously I, I have a podcast. I, I look at podcast numbers and I do not trust the numbers that I'm seeing a lot of the time. They seem very scattered. They just don't make sense in terms of like when they try to tell you what sources the listeners are coming from or, or what have you. And, it, and it, for those of you who don't know how podcasts work out there, it's really interesting because it's much more difficult to publish and track the progress of an audio only podcast the way podcast hosting works versus like YouTube makes it super simple for video and you get incredible analytics as a video uh, uh, producer for, for YouTube. And, and that's where I've had a lot more success because I have data I can work with and use to help grow that video side of the podcast. Um, but part of it is is like I don't think the content is actually as well suited to YouTube day in and day out. I think people will listen to these things more because that's the time where they're going to take 40 minutes to listen to these kinds of conversations while they're driving to work or they're mowing the lawn. Still blows my mind that people listen to podcasts mowing the lawn. I'm like, that's not good for your ears. But that's not the first time I've made that joke on the show. But they, they, it's, I'm like, I'm worried for your, your just put it down. Listen later. It's OK. Um, watch it on YouTube. Um but it's it's the it's you have this inherent distrust because you've seen enough variety of, of where that number are coming from. And so, you know, not not to trust it. There's so many questions I have for you. I'm, I'm curious first. So just as we're in this, this topic of like the numbers that you're looking at and, and that kind of variance that you've seen in, in your clients and at SPPs, I'm interested in and Corey. I mean, you're literally sitting in your restaurant. You're putting your money where your mouth is. You're investing in building this business um, in, in the restaurant yourself. What metrics do you use? Like, which do you think are the most important for a restaurant in particular, especially when you're in that process of getting it open and, and opening the doors? Like, what are you going to be watching from day one? Well, so the nice thing with restaurants and uh, I mean, it, it, there's a pretty set standard uh, for business for restaurants and, and out mm -hmm. there in terms of what your numbers should be. And um, <clears throat> like the, the prime costs, the two big things that that you can control in your business are your cost of goods and your labor. And so for any restaurant right there, regardless of the combination, those two things should not add up to more than 60% of your revenue. 
Uh, from there, you have rent should be you know less than nine percent. You have all of these other things in there that should be at certain percentages, um, and those are the goals that you look for. So you can control for the most part what your rent's going to be. You can control your labor. You can control your costs, kind of. But when uh, right now we're we're experiencing a very fun. Um, thing in the world where both the cost of labor and the cost of goods are going up. And so normally if one goes up, you just try and work it so you can lower the other one. But right now they're both going up at the same time. So the only choice that we have, and we're kind of lucky opening um, right now when we are, despite everything going on in the world, is that we can it's not gonna, there's not going to be a sticker shock when people come in. They're, like The regulars aren't going to come in and say, oh, last time I was here, it was this. You were never here last time. You know, this is the first time you hear this is just what it costs, unfortunately. Um, but, it, it, you know, for us, that's the only way to hit those numbers, to hit that 60%, um, which is, I mean, crazy. Like, talking to my brother, who's a dentist, um, his is completely flipped. Like, 35% of his uh, his revenue is labor and cost of goods. It's like the exact opposite of what we do. But um, yeah, so that that's it for, on a day-to-day basis. And then for, for me opening up uh, the first three months, I'm not worried about making a profit because we're going we're gonna to be busy. And I want to make sure that every single guest that comes in here has a great experience because the last thing you want is to just ruin that first impression with somebody. Um, so for the first three months, I mean, there's a good chance we're just going to be losing money. But that's just that's the way it is makes sense it sounds sounds very logical to me logical to me i don't know the that industry very well so it it sounds like these are very rational um uh objectives um in your sb pace business as you're as you're guiding other small businesses uh can you think of some other examples where that would be somewhat different or a different kind of industry um what what are some typical recommendations you might make uh that people might be able to to apply uh that that are listening out there well, so for, I mean, the first is just to research your industry, find out what those benchmarks are and, and try and benchmark yourself against them. Um, for anything that, that we do when it comes to any kind of data, any kind of measuring, you need, to, you need that benchmark. You need to know where you are so you can set goals to improve, to, uh, to do anything in your business. And so uh, that's the first thing that we do when we talk to anybody about either starting a business or if they're going to implement something new, improvement, et cetera. You, you need to measure where you are because if you don't, you have no idea if you're going to be successful or if you are successful at the, at the time. I would also say to not get focused on measuring things that truly do not matter, right? We see a lot of times people are focused on the wrong data points. Uh, Number of followers is the first one that comes to my mind. It's such a vanity number, but people just get obsessed with it. And it's like, (laughs) it it truly doesn't matter if you have one follower or you have a million followers like you have an audience to take care of and that's what you need to worry about is providing the good good content for that audience so but people get wrapped up in that and people also are they want to be everywhere right people tend to think like oh i need to be on every social channel i need to do paid ads and uh, all this and my guidance is always there are literally probably I can think of 25 things without even trying that you can do before you need to run paid ads and paid ads are not for everybody because in all honesty, in a lot of instances, the cost of the ad is going to be more than you're going to make on the sale. So the customer acquisition cost is just ridiculously high. So don't spend your time on it. But 
it amazes me how many people don't understand that and they're looking at I can get more revenue if I run paid ads and so they're tracking against that and it's, that's the wrong metric to look at. I would definitely echo that from my experience. And, and for me, you know, recognizing daily leadership lessons is not going to be the first podcast everyone listens to. It's, it's a relatively niche market in the grand scheme of things. But if it can really help somebody do something different in their career or in their business that really makes a big impact to them, like that's what I'm trying to go for. So that committed community that's trying to get better, trying to understand this and recognizing none of us get it all. Like we're, we can be consultants, we can be executives. We all need to keep learning. It's constantly changing. It's constantly evolving. And the only way we're going to learn as much as possible is by having these conversations, doing that research, doing that, uh, that challenging our own biases a lot of the time uh, to, to try to understand things better. And that's you know, I love making the recording. My problem is that I love making the recordings. I love making the content. I love when people are listening to it and finding value. What I don't like doing is all the marketing stuff or chasing followers or doing all of that stuff. And I don't do enough of it. And it's because I'm so focused on creating good content. I'm just hopeful that, you know, anybody who's listening, please tell somebody about the show. We need more listeners. And I am focused on making the show happen, let alone uh, try to do some marketing for it. So please help where you can. But, um, you know, I think that it's being motivated by, you know, helping folks. And that's, I mean, I think your, your business actually is one where I think most, you know, most business gurus would say chasing the very limited revenues of a small business community is probably not the most advantageous business model to chase down, <laughs> but you recognize you're serving a community who needs that help. And one thing I want to ask you um, is, is because I've done a few different entrepreneurial endeavors in, in my career. I've also done corporate gigs. I've done consulting, all that. But I've, I've done things on my own as a, as a consultant or as kind of a, a thought leader in, in some of the, the content that I've produced. And I have some experience with that. I've also worked with a business partner in the past, um, had some experience with that. I'm curious in you guys, as you as because you've been in business together for a couple of years uh, since the pandemic started. What made you decide that you wanted to partner up and do something together versus trying to do something on your own? I always find that an interesting uh, avenue to explore with any kind of entrepreneurial uh, for, pursuit. For me, I so I had had my own consulting company where I was just like a solopreneur for a number of years and. I always felt like I was just an employee of whoever I was work, doing a contract for, right? So I didn't really feel like I had my own thing. I just felt like I was a temp employee. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, I literally had just moved to Richmond, lived across the street from Corey, and I feel like I spent an entire year with only him. I'm not sure how many other people I actually saw in that 12-month time period. but. Um, it's just so easy. Like he's really, he's the, in many ways, the exact opposite of me, right? He's very logical. He's kind of a robot. Um, he's really good with math. Um, he's a grammar Nazi, like all the things that I'm not like he's, he, he just rounds out like all of the areas where I'm not that great. And, um, he's also extremely good at you know, I'm big ideas and love to like, oh my God, I want to dive in like deep every time. And hey, let's let's do something for 12 months. And he's like, mm, should we think about maybe like three months first, right? So it was 
it started off, I think we weren't, neither one of us were really sure where it was going to go. And we only committed to six months. We're like, we're going to do it for six months, right? Because he was always wanting to do the restaurant. And I'm like, okay, six months. And six months, we did a pulse check and we thought, all right, let's, let's commit for another three. And then we committed for another three. And it really wasn't until day 367 that we actually knew we were onto something really big. And had we signed like three big clients in the same day, right? But mostly if i have an idea as long as it isn't totally crazy he'll he'll go for it he'll say yes and he'll help me figure out how to do it and when i'm off the ledge sometimes he like pushes me over it <laughs> but most of the time i'll be like all right come back over here we need to we need to talk this through so in all honesty i think i got really really lucky he's truly the best business partner and um i just i'm 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 really excited for him for the restaurant while simultaneously being really sad for me that he's had to pull back from SP Pace and Certivium because I really miss spending, uh, even though I just spent like all this time with him, it, it's very different right now for, for the way SP Pace is working, but he's in his glory. So that's, it's fun to see, but that's, that's kind that's my side of the story. There's going to be not nearly as many compliments on this side. I would expect. I would expect that. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. Um, it just it, it kind of worked out well. Like to to partner up. Um, it, it's one of those things where everybody thinks uh, when they're starting a business, oh, I'm going to start it with my best friend and it's going to be awesome, or I'm going to do any of these things that are going to probably fall like you'll fail at and you don't realize that you're going to you're going to get in arguments you're going to probably hate somebody for a short period of time maybe a long period of time um you never know but uh that there, there's a the in the end it's like the goal like why are you both doing this or why are you and your partners doing this um and the nice thing for for julie and i is that we just complement each other well in that um, the things that I'm good at, she needs help with and vice versa. So, um, it, it, and then there's other areas where it's just like, I mean, sales, no, neither of us really are wanted to do sales, liked sales. Um, I flat out said, no, I'm not doing sales. And so Julie just picked it up and she ran with it and she's doing a great job with it. Um, you know, it took a while, but it, she was new to it. And so she picked it up. She learned it. I'm sure you probably read like four or five books cause that's what you do. Um, <laughs> but you know, and picked it up and, and did well with sales. Cause I like, that's not my thing. Like I, I'm a, uh, my background is in restaurants, it's in products and, and they sell themselves. So, you know, so to speak, I can upsell, I can, et cetera, et cetera, make sure people come back. But um, I can't cold call somebody and say, "Hey, do you want service?" Like, I, like selling a service was foreign to me, so um, that was uh, very helpful that Julie was able to kind of pick that up and go with it. And and again, understanding at the end of the day that we have the same goal: build a successful company, and that sometimes you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do, and it's not always going to be you know a walk in the park. Yeah, I appreciate you two sharing that. And, and I think it, it's it's a personal aspect of, of starting any kind of business, but I, I'm fascinated by those uh, kinds of dynamics. And, you know, I look back on, on business partnerships and, and other things that I've had and, and have learned from those experiences and, and have realized in, in retrospect why some 
aspects of what I've done independently work better than others. And then sometimes why having a partner is really, really beneficial. So definitely um, appreciate when you find good partners and, and do good business. It's, it's definitely an exciting path. Um, we've talked so much about uh, SB Pace and, and we talked a little bit about the restaurant, but I'm, I'm curious too about uh, Certivium, especially, I mean, social media management. Do you need more clients? Because there's a podcast that could use some additional marketing help, I think. Yeah. Um, I just know. I'm asking for a friend um, but the, um... the answer to that is so... yes we need more clients um certivium is was truly a business that was born out of a gap in the marketplace right which is the best way to start a business we had a client we had a couple of clients who really needed help with customer engagement, right? So we have two primary services on Certivium, customer engagement and social media management. And on the customer engagement one, we looked and looked and looked to try and find somebody that could take on customer engagement for these clients. And we couldn't find anybody who won English was their primary language and they were affordable and they hit, and they addressed the social media content, like the engagement on social media, where you get the trolls or the complaints and so many questions coming in on those channels. And for any business that feels like they need to be on like five or six channels, that's a lot of messaging to manage a lot. That's a full-time yeah. job. So we came out with like really easy service, an easy service that is easy for people to understand what they're going to pay. And it's at a price point that businesses can afford. And our goal always across both businesses is we want to fire ourselves as fast as we can. We don't, it's not our desire to be taking money from small business owners month over month over month over month long term, right? We want to be able to teach you how to do it. And so we, but, but until you can, it, we, we make it really affordable. And so on the social media management, it was very similar, except for when we had clients who needed help with that. I went out and I'm, I probably called on, 20 different companies to say, Hey, I've got some clients. Here's what they need. What do you offer? Mm -hmm. And Anthony, the prices were offensive. I'm like there. I don't know a small business owner who can afford to pay this. So we just pulled, we're like, we're going to do it ourselves. We're going to do it ourselves. So we built some packages and we just, we approach it very differently. No contracts. We take the you can either buy packages of assets or you can buy, you can do it at a monthly fee. And it's really up to you, whatever works better for how you wanna, how you wanna do the social media. And um, we have a third business partner in that company and she's amazing. She's, a, and she loves, she's super creative and talented and um, makes makes it really, really easy. And so that's the, and, and we know her, I mean, she's actually, she's my sister-in-law and um, it's just, it's a really great fit. And, and so we've enjoyed seeing that company grow as well. And that's like the important part there, like for us it, it, and for me, I, I am awful at asking for help. I will, I will just try and do everything myself, but for that business and for a lot of just small business owners in general, it's, you don't need to do everything by yourself. It, it's, you're going to make yourself make your life a lot better you're going to make it easier you're going to you're going to be more successful if you can find people who can help like julie and i could have very well done certivium on our own but we would be i mean it would be crazy for us to try and do that so let's bring somebody else in uh, let's find another partner for this business who can focus solely on that side of the business and we provide support as needed um 
you know, I'm more like I, I don't have social media myself. I don't really I don't understand it. I to this day, like I still I sent she like so Stacy does the uh, the social media for for the restaurant and I just I sent her a picture and uh, some copy for it and I was like and I think this is how you do a tag I don't even know if I use the right word I don't know just here's the information you do whatever you're supposed to do with it but you know so for for me it's super helpful because I can do the IT side I can do the back end oh, we need a new piece of software sure I'll do the research I'll make sure it works I can I can figure out those integrations but the rest of it nope. It's all Stacy. Yeah. I can relate to that. And I, I, I find that, you know, it's good to dabble with some of that so you understand what you don't know and what you're not good at. Like, I can do some of the web programming for my website, but I've learned I shouldn't trust my own eye for the design. Like, that's not going to work well in the end. And, and I've tried, and no matter how much effort I put in, my capacity is pretty poor. And, and there's certain things that I think... It, I, I want to encourage those small business owners that may find this podcast is, is, you know, try it, give it a, you know, try to understand, make sure you understand what you can and can't do. And, and you'll run out of money really quick if you try to outsource everything, mm -hmm. but pick your spots, like, and understand there's some real depth to things that, and, and social media is so difficult to navigate when you don't know what's going on and you don't use it all the time and you're not that interested in it. People are using, it. it's going to be important for your business in all likelihood get some help with that. It definitely, I think, is, is a very good bit of advice to, to those folks out there. Yeah. And you don't have to be everywhere. You don't, like, you know, just because, you know, your your competitors on TikTok, you don't have to be on TikTok. You, you, can, you can dial things back, right? I, we like to say master one thing, get really, really good and consistent at it, and then add to it. Just layer things on. Like, don't stress yourself out so much. It's crazy how much stuff we think we have to do. When it comes to TikTok, I will make one promise to the folks out there. Data Leadership Lessons is not on TikTok. We're not planning on being on TikTok. But if we ever do go on TikTok, only dance videos. There will be no useful content <laughs> whatsoever. It will only be me doing dance videos under the guise of Data Leadership Lessons. And I don't know why, but that's all I understand TikTok to be. So that's what we'll do if we ever go on there. Don't hold your breath. We're not going on there. So Don't say that. You never know. <laughs> I record well, now Instagram. I'm, so now when now. I do want to go out there, I'm going to have to do a dance video. And, and that's the one thing they're going to remember, right? Like, that's the thing exactly. they're going to call me out on, even though I've made so many statements over the... Nope, that, that's the thing that they're going to, to hold me to, um, which is fine. If, if I get attention, that I know that's how TikTok works, too, is you want attention, we'll, we'll do the videos. Um, tell me about uh, the, the BizQuick podcast. I'm, I'm curious about that as well. So BizQuick is, we're like 200 episodes in, I think. We release every Tuesday and Thursday. The episodes are about 30 minutes in length, and we, we're in our third season. The podcast is our, an ideal listener for us is an entrepreneur um, or somebody who's aspiring to be an entrepreneur. And we started with the concept of we were going to bring on struggling business owners and they were going to tell us what their problems were and we were going to solve them turns out people aren't all that interested in coming on a podcast and blasting out all of their problems so we pivoted really quickly and we actually bring on you know a lot of people who specialize in a particular area of a business or have really unique businesses we had a like a ghost hunter on recently would you call her a ghost hunter well she writes uh she's an author and she writes um like fantasy fiction type books but she's also 
big into the paranormal. Yeah. That was a fun conversation in general. It really was. So yeah. we've, been, we've had some really great guests on. We've learned some very interesting things. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons from our podcast that we've learned is just because somebody's a really big name doesn't mean it's going to do your podcast any good because they're probably really unlikely to promote it because they don't actually need to promote it. So when you think it's going to get you extra, you know, downloads and listens, it's probably not. Um, and it's we have a lot of fun doing it. It's a, an opportunity for our personalities to really, you know, come out and shine and banter back and forth and um, we always every episode the first you know seven to eight minutes is just the two of us talking about whatever usually it's the re- it's the restaurant lately but that's that's the way it goes yeah and that's uh i mean kind of tying it back to those vanity numbers with the followers when mm-hmm. we're looking for guests for the show it, you know you find somebody that that they approach you hey i'm so-and-so's admin they want to be on your show and you look at they've got a hundred thousand followers on instagram it's like oh that seems cool and then you look and they like every post they they make they've get like five likes i'm like of a hundred thousand people that's it so and for us we look at those numbers and by we our our social media manager francis looks at those numbers where it's it's like hey francis this person wants to be on the show would they be a good fit in the sense that they will actually promote our show they engage with their audience. They they talk to their followers, um, and that's the our biggest thing when it comes to uh, aside from having a good topic to to cover, it's making sure that they actually promote what they do. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean it's it's definitely interesting as I've done more episodes of the podcast myself. The dynamics around finding good guests and creating good content. I think one of the best parts for me is that because I'm no longer doing like active consulting, I'm not trying to convert to consulting engagements or or what have you. I do this because I love the conversation. I love the thought leadership. I love having the community of people benefit from it. And it lets me be pretty free and open when I'm saying things like have, let's have dance videos on TikTok. That's a dumb idea. We all know that's a dumb idea, but I think it's funny and I don't care. So like, that's, that's the fun part of being able to do something in this forum is that it can be more enjoyable and still benefiting folks with a low barrier of entry and you can do things that are a little bit more interesting and and relevant for folks in a wider variety than your typical day job sometimes like you can't consult with every person you could interact with on a podcast and that's that's part of the fun i think yeah we had talked to somebody fairly early on in our podcast he was a guest who actually his whole thing was you know using the podcast to convert those you know guests into clients and i think that's one thing that we never ever have tried to do right we look at the guests as one there's a early on we did a lot of we would let people record commercials that we would run in in our in the middle of our podcast in a in a natural break section to let people promote their business right so small business owners who aren't getting a lot of advertising we're like hey you can you can record with us as long as you have a product or service that people can use from anywhere go go ahead and you know so it was more of a we'll help you to get more clients than it was us trying to get our own clients and really showcasing some businesses but i think that's really reflective of how we are as a business anyway, right? Where we're very, you know, our number one core value is we don't sell you crap you don't need, right? Only we don't say crap, right? But I don't know if I could curse on here, so I don't want to. But, um, you know, so we're really, 
I think my back, I had a background in big four consulting before I started SBPs and I got so tired of seeing these companies just sell, 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 sell back to the clients all the time. That was all they were trying to do. And I understand yeah. that that's a, their revenue model, right? And it's a lot easier to get money from a client that you already have than from a new one. But it just feels so inauthentic to be helping somebody and looking for every opportunity there is to get more money from them. It feels really dirty. So we're, we just don't, we don't do it. We don't operate that way. And we don't really try it. We don't sell to our clients either or to our, to our um, guests on our podcast. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, that that really resonates with me. And that's where, like, I'm, I'm so happy when guests on my show do make connections with people that reach out to them afterwards and, you know, end up doing work together. And I'm like, that's great. Like, to me, it's about sharing the knowledge, finding opportunities, networking, and getting exposure to things that we may not otherwise get exposure to. I think that's what benefits everybody involved in this. You, you know, you as the guest, me as the host, and the audience out there, um, you know, listening to, to what we have to do. There's, there's no pressure. There's no... You you know, real demand. It's just, here's, here's some things that you may be interested in. And if you spend some time with us, maybe you'll learn something that's useful. So to me, that's, that's the most important thing for my show. And, and it, it, a lot of what you've talked about really, really resonates with me. Unfortunately, we are well, definitely out of time now. <laughs> I've, been, I've really enjoyed talking with you and, and learning more about what you do. And, and, you know, just having you on the show is, has been amazing. I wish you all the luck in the world with the new restaurant and the businesses and, and all of that. But really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your wisdom with the, with the audience out there. Well, thanks for having us. We really appreciate yep. it. This was fun. Yep. Thank so, you. So before we before we go, um, and, and again, thank you. And, and before you, we go, what's what's the best way for, for folks to find you from the, for those that are, are just listening in right now? You can find everything on sbpace.com. Everything Great. you need is there. And all of you out there, thank you for joining us today. As always, you'll find more information about our guests and, and all the links in, in the show notes. Go to dataleadershiplessons.com to subscribe and check out past episodes and accelerate your journey with training at dataleadershiptraining.com. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. 